This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Well, it seems like we've reached a bizarre point in American politics where the furthest right Republicans and Donald Trump have managed to, I guess, accidentally land on the same side of an issue as leftists like myself, albeit for very, very different reasons, mind you. But nonetheless, they are wanting an outcome that I also support, or at least they're saying that this is the outcome that they want when they're lying in actuality and just playing politics. So let me try to explain. Basically, for months now, Democrats have been wanting funding for Ukraine, and Republicans have been saying no unless you give us something that you would never give us funding for the border. We want the wall and we want more money for ICE. And they thought that they were calling the Democratic Party's bluff because, I mean, during an election year, it's inconceivable that Democrats would ever support something so barbaric and draconian when their own base wouldn't like that. But Democrats, unbeknownst to them, don't actually care about their base. And they said, you know what? Fine. We'll give you barbaric immigration crackdowns if you give us funding for Ukraine. And now Republicans are in this awkward position to where they're having to do this tap dance and be like, oh, actually, even though if you look at the bill, it's very brutal, it's still bad. It still allows for crossings. So we have to oppose it on principle, even though we said we would support what you wanted if you support what we wanted. It's very bizarre. But let me go back and give you some more context so you understand why they're coming from this position, aside from stupidity. Basically, Republicans for years now have been pretending that Biden has instituted an open border policy, even though he's arguably as cruel as Trump, minus the family separation policy. Although he did consider detaining families at one point following the end of Title 42, which is a Trump-era policy that he used to justify deportations, but Biden also used that. But, I mean, there's been no shortage of cruelty towards immigrants under the Biden administration. Remember the thousands of desperate Haitians that were brutalized by Border Patrol on horseback and subsequently deported? That happened under Joseph Biden. Yeah. But despite this ruthless approach towards immigration, Republicans haven't stopped pretending that he's just opened the borders. It's preposterous to me. So, I mean, you would think that Biden by now would recognize that they will never be appeased, regardless of how Trumpian he gets, because they're just opposed to everything that he does for partisan purposes. It's not about policy for them. But rather than acknowledging this and changing his approach, Biden is instead choosing to double down on his policy of appeasing fascists, which, if you look to history, it's always worked out really well. And I say this because he's supporting a bipartisan immigration bill that is so right-wing that even mainstream media pundits are calling it right-wing. As Sahil Kapoor of NBC News puts it, as recently as months ago, it was unthinkable that President Biden and Democrats would endorse an immigration bill like this without any of their priorities on dreamers and legalization. The politics of this issue have shifted sharply to the right with the asylum system overwhelmed. And to make matters worse, guess what? The bill also includes funding for Israel's genocide in Gaza. 
to the tune of $14 billion, by the way, which means that Democrats who support this legislation are now to the right of Ronald Reagan on the issues of immigration and Israel-Palestine, which says a lot about the trajectory that we've been on as a country for a while now and should alarm all of us. Now, if you're a liberal who was outraged by Trump's cruel policies, this is going to make you outraged if you are morally consistent. And any Democrat who supports this they're just xenophobic, racist trash. But it's hard for Americans to know what's in it because it's a very long bill. So let me try to break it down for you and explain why this is something that the left is opposed to. As Politico explains, the bill would nearly double funding to ICE and give billions more to CBP. And on top of that, it would use money already allocated towards immigration to construct more walls on the border, i.e. Trump's border wall. And on top of that, it would distribute money to states dealing with an influx of migrants, which isn't necessarily bad. And it would also allocate $4 billion to citizenship and immigration services to speed up asylum claims, but also toughen asylum requirements and require asylum seekers to show proof that refuge in the U.S. is needed immediately. Otherwise, they get turned away. Now, it would also shut down the border entirely if crossings average 5,000 or exceed 8,500 per day. And this provision has confused a lot of people, but I think that Fox News correspondent Bill Malugan, who actually seems to support this, explains this provision in greater detail in a more fair way. So he writes this on Twitter, quote, at seven-day rolling average of 5,000 encounters per day, or 8,500 encounters in a single day, DHS is required to shut the border down and turn away anyone who crosses. No new asylum claims will be allowed and anybody crossing will be removed. Would end the whole idea of, quote, I made it to U.S. soil, you have to process me. That would be over. Border Patrol would not process the illegal crosser and they would be removed. No asylum claim permitted unless it's made at a port of entry. This does not mean 5,000 are, quote, allowed in before this authority kicks in. Single adults would be detained, families would be released via ATD, alternatives to detention, and asylum cases would be fast-tracked to months rather than years under a new rapid-slash-expedited expulsion system. Those who fail would be quickly removed from the U.S. Those who initially pass would be released with work authorization and 90-day supervision until final asylum claim is determined. The shutdown authority doesn't drop until crossings decrease significantly in the days following Following the shutdown, the border has seen at least 5,000 encounters almost every single day the last couple of years under Biden. If this bill were signed into law, the border would likely be shut down on the first day it takes effect. So this is basically a conservative saying this bill is surprisingly good, right? He also concedes that there are things in there that people who are more humane towards immigrants would also support. And to be fair, that's true, right? But generally speaking, it is a drastically more punitive approach towards immigration that further criminalizes it overall. Now, it doesn't streamline the citizenship application process at all, nor does it give people already here asylum or a path to citizenship, even if they're already working and paying taxes here. But I mean, that's not to say that it's all negative, because as he said, there were some things that people who are doves on immigration would support. For example, 250,000 visas would be freed up for families of immigrants with H-1B visas, and asylum seekers might get work permits while their applications are being processed. So that's good. But overall, it doesn't even come close to being 
what the Democratic Party said they wanted, and it doesn't address the root causes. And it handles the issue of immigration in the same way that we handle all other issues in this country, by further criminalizing it and policing it more, which is why civil rights groups like the ACLU have come out against this legislation. It's cruel, it's barbaric, and it's a betrayal for the Democratic Party to support this after saying they're going to do things differently. Now, most people who are here illegally now actually entered legally and they just overstayed their visas but since we make legal immigration very difficult if not impossible in this country people who already built lives here aren't just going to suddenly up and leave nor should they but rather than giving them a chance to become citizens if they work really hard this legislation just keeps them in limbo in perpetuity to appease republicans furthermore there will always be desperate people who have no choice but to cross the border illegally to escape violence so long as conditions around the globe continues to deteriorate thanks to a number of conditions, including late-stage capitalism. But, I mean, maybe if we didn't embolden cartels and gangs with our failed drug war and destabilize so many Latin American countries with decades of meddling, people wouldn't need to leave their countries and come here in the first place. But like all of us, immigrants are human beings just looking for a better life. But politicians have chosen to blame them instead of their own incompetence with regard to this issue. So as far as I'm concerned, Democrats and Republicans have failed on this issue. But here's where we get to the Republican Party having to do mental gymnastics and pretend like they don't support this, who scream about immigration the loudest. So Republicans, for the most part, have come out against this. And it's not because they suddenly grew hearts and they thought, mm, maybe it's really mean the way we've been treating these human beings. No, they're against it simply because they don't want to give Democrats a win. And they don't think that it's harsh enough. But on top of that, Trump also told them to be against it for the fact that he doesn't want to give Biden a win before an election. So there's a number of reasons why they're against this, but they're all political reasons for the most part. But ironically, nobody even realizes that them not supporting this is actually better for Biden, even if none of them realize it, because the people who voted for Biden you would imagine expect him to be more humane towards immigrants. So in a way, fascist Republicans in rejecting this bill managed to save Biden from himself, and they inadvertently blocked Israel from getting more genocide money, and on top of that, somehow triggered another round of infighting within the Republican Party that got very tense. So even though seeing so many Democrats and Republicans support this kind of like killed my soul, not that I was expecting any different but you know seeing them betray their base like this it made me feel down but then when you see the outcome and what this bill led to the shitstorm that ensued it made me happy i'm not gonna lie but i mean that's assuming nothing changes and fascists really do choose to reject this legislation but at this point in time they're pretty much saying this bill is doa in fact that's literally what they're saying speaker mike johnson called the bill dead on arrival and said it's even worse than he imagined oh sure it is but hours earlier he shared a clip of himself demanding biden take action while chastising him for refusing to act so he is pretending like biden didn't just do exactly what he wanted biden to do and he's in effect rejecting a policy that he supports to spite Biden and appease Donald Trump. It's so fucking stupid. I mean, imagine if Trump proposed Medicare for all as president and the, the leftists were like, no, I don't support that. You know, I want people to have health care, but I don't want him to have the political dub. I don't give a shit who supports the policy that I support. If it's good policy, it's good policy. So be objective and support it. Don't be a hack. But he's not doing that. 
I mean, Biden is giving him exactly what he wants. Maybe not everything he wants, because sure, they'd like it to be more draconian, but he's getting a huge win here, but he isn't supporting it because it's from Biden. They look so insane right now. But Mike Johnson isn't necessarily representative of the entire party because there are some Republicans who hate immigrants more than they love Trump, like Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney and James Lankford. And they're now trying to reason with fellow fascists in their party by convincing them to support this barbaric bullshit while they have the chance, because once it's gone, they're not going to get a chance like this for a while. This is a humanitarian and security crisis of historic proportions. And Senate Republicans have assisted, not just for months, but for years, that this urgent crisis demanded action. Three months ago, we asked our colleague, Senator Langford, to lead that action. In just the time since Washington Democrats finally decided to join him at the negotiating table, the president's border crisis made history all over again. December saw the highest daily and monthly tallies of illegal border crossings ever on record. And it's now time for Congress to take action on supplemental national security legislation that finally meets those challenges head on. Oh, I, I, think, I think the border is a very important issue for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and the fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is uh, is really appalling. But the, but the reality is that, that uh, we have a crisis at the border. The American people are suffering as a result of uh, what's happening at the border. Uh, and someone running for president ought to try and get the, uh, you know, the problem solved as opposed to saying, hey, save that problem. Don't solve it. Uh, let me take credit for solving it later. So they're taking a principled and consistent position here. They hate immigrants, and as haters of immigrants, this bill is a no-brainer. Sure, we could always be more cruel, but I mean, beggars can't be choosers, right? It's an election year, and to get Democrats to go along with this is insane. So the fact that Republicans don't want to take them up on this offer is astonishing. Now, predictably, the Republicans who are against this haven't even read it. Many of them voiced their opposition to it before they saw the bill. Now, Republican James Langford, who is one of the sponsors of this bill, along with Democrat Chris Murphy, explained that. And here's his response to Mike Johnson's, out, uh, Mike Johnson's outright rejection of the bill. If this bill reaches the House, it will be dead on arrival. Your thoughts? Yeah, un unfortunately, he would step out and be able to say that right away before, obviously, he had had a chance to be able to read it as well and to be able to go through it. The key aspect of this, again, is are we as Republicans going to have press conferences and complain the border's bad and then intentionally leave it open? After the worst month in American history in December, now we've got to actually determine, are we going to just complain about things or are we going to actually address and to change as many things as we can? If we have the shot, and it's amazing to me, if, if I go back two months ago and say we had the shot under a Democrat president to dramatically increase detention beds, deportation flights, lock down the border, to be able to change the asylum laws, right. to be able to accelerate the process, no one would have believed it. And now no one actually wants to be able to fix it and says, I don't want to even debate it. I don't want to discuss it. We have to decide as Republicans, what are we going to actually do about the border? Leave it open or actually leave it closed? I think you know the answer to that question, James. But let's not try to pretend like this bill addresses the root causes here because it doesn't. But even if it did, Republicans don't want to solve the issue of immigration because if they do, then 
they lose a scapegoat that is very valuable. I mean, how do you win elections if you can't pawn all of America's problems off on people with no money and no power? Who would their corporate donors exploit for cheap labor indefinitely if all of a sudden immigrants could get citizenship status or amnesty? They don't want to solve this issue. That's been clear from the start. But as you saw, Lankford, who's a sponsor of the bill, said that Johnson vocalized his opposition to it before he even read it, which is to be expected if you know the GOP's MO. Now, other GOP blowhards like Nancy Mace also decided that she was against it before she read it, even though she's pretending that she read it. But watch, because the Fox News host is going to call her out on her lying. Have you read all 370 pages of this bill? We are, we are working through it. We have about 50 pages more to go. But from what we can tell, and I'm going to put forth a statement once we finish reading the bill, the measures that we feel are extremely undesirable that keep our border open, that water down the asylum system. Um, it's not good for the country. Well, they say quite exactly frankly. the opposite. That's why I'm, I'm asking. I mean, you claim you've read through most of the bill, but the way you're talking about it makes it seem like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> That's basically what the Fox News host was saying there. I mean, it's got to be sad for the dozen or so GOP policy wonks in the country who are realizing that Republicans don't actually give a shit about policy. It's all about bluster and huffing and puffing, especially during election years. But the ones that do care right now, they've got to be perplexed with the rejection of this bill, given how draconian it is. It is everything they asked for, but they can't support it because... Biden did it. Can't give a Democrat credit on anything. Now, I want to show you Fox News trying to sell this to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who isn't important in this conversation because this is a governor of the state of Arkansas. And she's not going to be voting on this because she's not a member of Congress. But for some reason, she's weighing in. But she's going to explain why she's against it. But in doing so, she's not just going to look foolish, but she's going to contradict herself within 10 seconds of speaking. If you enforce all that, it sounds pretty good on its face. And the other thing he said is that it builds more wall. Uh, this is a Democratic president who would be signing this if it were to pass out of Congress in its current form. Uh, we, not, when you spend the money on the wall is to be debated. A lot of that comes in 2025 and beyond. But just on its face, Governor, what do you like about what they have done inside this bill? Well, I think anything that we're doing that makes it harder for people to just freely walk in. Uh, right now, we have had, under this administration, completely and totally open borders. In the last month alone, they picked up more people from the terrorist watch list than they did the entire four years of Donald Trump's presidency. So we have to put harsher and tougher restrictions in place. In the state of Arkansas, we took in and seized so much fentanyl that it would kill 2.8 million people. And that's just in our state alone. That's almost the entire population of Arkansas. I'm not saying there aren't some good merits of this legislation, but if they're not going to take serious action at the congressional level, then Republican governors are going to continue to step up where the federal government is failing. That was absolutely incredible. So she said the borders are completely and totally open, yet in the same breath said in the last month alone, they also picked up more people from the terrorist watch list than the entire four years of Trump's presidency, which is bizarre because when you say it like that, it almost makes it seem like the borders aren't completely open and they're doing a lot of apprehensions. It almost makes it seem like Biden is actually more effective than Trump at policing the borders. But please, Sarah, continue to explain to us how the borders are wide open and anyone could just cross at any time 
time. All you have to do to get over the border is walk up to an ICE agent and say, hello, sir, I'd like to enter the country illegally, please. All I have are the clothes on my back and this 10-pound bag of cocaine. And the ICE agent would have to say, well, you know what? I don't want to let you through, but because of Biden, I have to let everyone in. So um, come on in, sir. I'll hold the door open for you. I mean, I'm being hyperbolic, but like this is literally what some Americans think. That's what they actually think happens. And it's because of people like Sarah I almost called her Sarah Palin, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who lied to them constantly. Like, this is why we're all stupid as a country. It's because we're all misinformed by people who are in power. Now, if you're trying to steel man the argument of someone like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, they say that since there's thousands of daily border crossings, well, that is effectively an open border. It's tantamount to an open border. Now, the problem with this argument, aside from it being a lie, is that it presupposes that there wasn't all of these border crossings under Donald Trump. But here's the problem and the dirty little secret that Republicans don't want to let you know about. There were there were still thousands of crossings under Trump because we've never tried to actually address the issue in a meaningful way. Now, right wing ideologues go to great lengths to hide this fact from their global audiences. Case in point. I would also remind folks during the Trump administration, we also had days of more than 4,000 people that were illegally crossing the border under the Trump administration in 2019, and they were struggling because there's gaps and loopholes in the law. Yeah, this but Senator, you know, you know, Donald Trump, so we were at a 45-year low in illegal right. crossings under Donald Trump, and, and that's, that's just a fact. I, I've got the, the oh, evidence to dramatically fewer a, a 45 year low Trump under Donald Trump in 2019. We also had days of 3,000, 4,000, 4,500 that were happening. But nothing that like period. what we've seen right now. OK, let, let me just trying to figure out how to be able to implement it. Mm -mm, nope, nope. La, 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 la. I can't hear you, Senator. Crossings were much lower under Donald Trump. Senator, please shut the fuck up. We desperately need people to believe that Trump's cruel policies were a useful deterrent. Otherwise, Americans might begin to question whether or not Trump was as effective as they remember. Or worse, Americans might actually wonder, hey, maybe it seems like being really mean to immigrants doesn't actually accomplish what we want it to accomplish. See the propaganda in action, don't you? But what we're seeing here is a strong divide emerging between two camps within the Republican Party with two leaders, Mitch McConnell and Mike Johnson, on opposite sides of each side here, which is interesting to me. And this creates real friction to the point where some Senate Republicans want to McCarthy McConnell. I'm not joking about that. Ross Story reports Senate Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the longest serving party leader in the history of the U.S. Senate, is facing increased rebellion from the far right faction of his conference with calls for his ouster, including from one longtime GOP senator who declared we need new leadership now and a reporter calling it a hint at mutiny. Quote, brawl erupts in Senate GOP over border security supplemental is the AM headline at Punchbowl News, with the news outlet reporting, quote, the bills released Sunday night was like pouring gas gasoline on the fire that is the Senate GOP internal war. Senators and aides publicly and privately questioned whether a majority of the Republican conference would back it, a key metric. There were even calls for an immediate leadership change from some GOP senators and conservative outside groups. Now, the call from leadership change comes from Mike Lee, who tweeted, quote, this feels like an elaborate practical joke. I cannot understand how any Republican would think this was a good idea or anything other than an unmitigated disaster. We need new leadership 
leadership now, but he's not alone. Frank Thorpe 5 of NBC News reports Schumer on a call with reporters now on the supplemental aid bill. Quote, I have never worked more closely with Leader McConnell on any piece of legislation as we did on this. Now, Schumer said this to reassure Republicans that it was as conservative as they wanted it to be. But Josh Hawley responded, saying mm, that's the problem. Now, Ted Cruz also took a Mitt McConnell indirectly while lying about the bill, tweeting, quote, the Senate Republican leadership's border bill with the Democrats doesn't solve the problem. It will allow 1.8 million illegal aliens into our country yearly. Joe Biden and the Democrats will use this legislation to say they tried to fix the border and then blame House Republicans for not passing it. And to be clear, he's lying about what the bill does. But to be fair, I don't think that he's wrong when it comes to the politics of it, because if House Republicans say they want to address the border, but then turn down legislation that does just that, of course, Biden is going to use that against them. But this dynamic here is so interesting to me, because in the House, Mike Johnson is dealing with a faction of fascists who would quickly McCarthy him if he got out of line. So he can't support it if he wants to keep his job. Whereas in the Senate, McConnell is the one who's actually rebelling against his caucus. And as a result, they now are rebelling against him and they want to McCarthy him. Now, they don't have the power to do to McConnell what Republicans in the House did to McCarthy, but that hasn't stopped them from saying they want to, and it's also led to tensions boiling over. Andrew Desiderio of Punchbowl News reports, quote, fireworks at Senate GOP comms directors meeting this a.m. over border bill. After Senator Lankford's team gave presentation on the bill and opened up for cues, Senator Lee's staff was yelling at Lankford's staff per multiple people in room. Lee aide eventually left room saying betrayal. And then he adds that the room erupted in laughter after the Lee aide stormed out. So this is an all-out shit show, and Republicans are desperately trying to keep things under wrap so that way it doesn't get as ugly as the McCarthy ouster got. But I mean, it's not working and things are spilling out into the public and it doesn't help that a lot of Republicans benefit from intra-party warfare because it makes them look like the most pure Republicans. So they're going to the media, they're puffing out their chest and they're trying to look tough. But I mean, it's a shit show right now. You have Republicans crossing chamber lines in a sense, meaning that like they're supporting the GOP leader in the Senate when they're in the House, when their boss... Mike Johnson is against it. I'm talking about Dan Crenshaw, who said, if you are against something without knowing what it is, that is the height of stupidity. And he took some shots at senators who are against this, calling it just befuddling. Not his words, mine, but nonetheless, this is what he says. I'm extremely disappointed in the very strange maneuvering by many on the right to, to, to torpedo uh, a potential border reform bill. If we have a bill that on net significantly decreases illegal immigration and we sabotage that, that is... That is inconsistent with what we told our voters we would do. People will make up whatever reasons they, they want to. There's a number of them, I'm sure. But it would be a, a pretty unacceptable dereliction of, of your duty. So we are watching a GOP civil war unfold before our very eyes again. And I think that, you know, Republicans in general probably wouldn't support this because they would never go along with something that a Democratic president wants and they don't want to give him a win, especially during an election year. But regardless, I think that Trump and his strong opposition to this legislation is really what solidifies their position. And I think that Sawyer Hackett put it best, tweeting the Republican Party in a nutshell. On Monday, they're going to kill the harshest immigration deal in decades because their nominee wants to run on this issue. On Tuesday, they're going to launch an impeachment inquiry into the DHS secretary for not being harsher on immigration. Exactly. And that is a different story for a different day, but they are hypocrites. That's the TLDR. Now, that's not surprising when it comes to Republicans, but on the other side of the aisle, dumbass Democrats like Chuck Schumer, for example, 
thinks that he can still reason with Republicans like uh, like Johnson. He thinks that he can get through to Johnson. So let's watch this pathetic pitch that he makes to Speaker Johnson on Morning Joe. Do the right thing. You know what the right thing to do is. You know we need to fix our border. You know that it has to be bipartisan. The bill that you passed didn't get a single Democratic vote in the House or the Senate. How are you going to get anything done? Or do you just want to make a speech as you admittedly say the border is you say the border's in chaos? Do something about it. Don't just politically posture. Listen, Mike, I believe you're going to do the right thing. OK, we all want to fuck over immigrants. I get that you're mad because this bill doesn't have death camps. But what would Jesus do? He would support this bill where we fuck over immigrants. OK, do the right thing. Listen, <laughs> On a serious note, though, it should really genuinely unnerve everyone how quickly Democrats are willing to go full fascist if they think that there's any political gain whatsoever in doing that. It's just, it's why there's this saying, cut a liberal and a fascist bleeds, right? Now, I would typically say that this feels like Democrats are giving the finger to their base as they become more Trumpian, and I think that that's true to an extent. But honestly, I don't think that Democratic Party loyalists are against this. I think they would probably support all of Trump's policies so long as it was done by a Democrat and they used flowery rhetoric while doing it. But as little faith as I have at this point in the electorate, the ones who are principled, who would be opposed to what Democrats are doing if they knew, are being lied to, which is why so many of them aren't speaking up. For example, just try to put aside in this next clip Schumer's insufferable dick-sucking of Republicans and try to focus on how he's trying to sell this to voters like he's speaking to republicans in this clip but this is on liberal msnbc so in actuality he's making a pitch to democratic party voters look at how he disingenuously sells this bill if this does pass the senate which is you're confident will do i'm confident hopeful is the right word this is hard and our republican senators we need a bunch of them are under a lot of pressure from the right wing trump part of the party so let's do it in two parts talk to us a little more about the dynamics in the senate and why you are hopeful and then secondly but even if you get it through the senate if he's saying it's dead what happens next how do the dynamics change good questions both how do we get it through the senate senators have to rise to the occasion a large number of senators have shown real courage senator langford I mean, he was chosen by Mitch McConnell to negotiate this because he's a right, he's very conservative. He's not in the middle of where the Republican senators are. He's somewhat to the right, a very religious, deeply God-fearing man. And um, he had the courage to do it. McConnell, you know, I mean, he, maybe I'm not supposed to say something good about McConnell because the right wing will go, ow, 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 which they always do. Um, but... He's shown courage because he knows it's the right thing to do. I've had private talks with McConnell. He knows what will happen to America if Putin and Ukraine succeed. And we have some of these right-wing Republicans in the Senate who used to decry Putin and now say, don't aid Ukraine. All political and really horribly political because of so much is at stake. So how do we, so let's assume that our senators in the Senate rise to the occasion, okay? And I hope they will. Everyone's talking to each other. Once they look at the bill, when, when, when Langford showed some of the Republicans the bill, they finally saw what was in it and say, oh, this is a real compromise. This isn't to sell out one way or the other. Um, if it passes the Senate, there are a large number of congressmen in the House. First, there's a big group of hawks in the middle, and they care about funding Ukraine. They always have. And uh, the strategy of Johnson is right now do nothing. Uh, there's a large number of pro-Israel people 
They care about that. Then there's a large number of, of, of progressive legislators, I'm included, who want to see that Gaza, the people in Gaza don't starve and we get that aid to them. Um, plus, there are some who care about Taiwan and there's money there to bolster us against China's aggression there. You know, we're in an aggressive world. So he's trying to downplay the barbarity when it comes to immigration, and he's trying to sell it to liberals who are concerned about Ukraine and also trying to sell it to progressives who are concerned about Gaza. But, I mean, those provisions were obviously attached to entice people who weren't thrilled about the mean immigration policies that they're supporting. But notice how insulting his pitch is here, especially to progressives. Let's put up the graphic that they showed on the screen. So the humanitarian aid that they're offering to Gazans is $10 billion split with Ukraine. But if you're a progressive who wants that crucial aid to go to Palestinians, well, guess what? You've got to support even more money going to weapons to be used against them in order to get that crucial aid. This is such fucking bullshit. This is downright morally bankrupt. And here's what I say. Chuck, how about you, instead of pandering to Republicans and kissing their ass on national television, take that bill and shove it up your asshole. Just do that and then go fuck yourself. Like, what a piece of shit. Anyone who supports this bill is a bad person, period, full stop. You don't have a moral conscience if you support something like this. But guess what? If you don't have a moral conscience and you also happen to be a soulless ghoul, but you oppose it for some reason because you're a partisan hack, Guess what? Desperate times call for desperate measures. I'll accept that too. I accept outcomes in this situation. So if Republicans aren't opposing this for moral reasons, but they're still opposing it, okay. I mean, things are so bad that we're in a situation where fascist Republicans managed to reverse engineer a positive outcome for the country just by being petulant dickheads. I'll take it. Look, it's not the first time that they've checkmated themselves and tried to pretend like this was a win for them, but I'll take it. I mean, back when Obama tried to team up with Tea Party Republicans to cut Social Security, they rejected his offer then too because it wasn't harsh enough. And then they talked about how, oh, we opposed Obama and they're going to do the same thing. But you know what? I don't give a shit. I think that the outcomes are what we should focus on and the policy, not the party, is what we should be looking at. And if the outcome here is good, then I'll take it. And that means if they kill the bill, I don't care why they kill it. I just care that they kill the bill. But in conclusion, shame on any politician who supports this morally reprehensible legislation. I mean, Democrats are pivoting to the right in hopes that they're going to be able to pick up moderate voters after pissing off their entire base by unconditionally supporting a genocide in Gaza. And Republicans, they don't really want to solve any of the issues they claim to care about because then if they do that, they won't be able to run on anything in the next election. So you've got to keep at least a couple of scapegoats and not solve problems so that way you can run on it. It's all a show, right? That's the conclusion. Bottom line, it's all a show and we are witnessing quintessential political theater here. And you should know that. Just kidding, it's not the end of the video yet because as we're about to finish editing this, guess what happened? Sawyer Hackett reports that Mitch McConnell is now whipping votes against the bill that he supported this morning, and now Langford is not committing to supporting his own bill. I guess they felt like they didn't have the political capital needed to get it passed, and they already exhausted too much whipping votes for it, so they're against it. Who knows? They're a joke, but um, I guess Mitch McConnell solved his problem of not getting McCarthy'd by uh, caving? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. This party is fucking stupid, so 
there's the latest update for you. It'll probably change by the time you see this video, but nonetheless, that's where we're at right now. They're now against the bill that they were in favor of. So, cool. Connecticut is leading the charge, becoming the first state in the nation to cancel medical debt for thousands of eligible residents. Maybe it's $2,000 or so. Uh, paycheck to paycheck, that's a tough load to have to carry. Get that lifted off of your back, it uh, allows you to fly. And this is not something they did because they were spending too much money. This is something because they got hit with a medical emergency. The state will work with a nonprofit that buys up medical debt and then eliminates it at a reduced cost. So apparently good things can still happen in America, which is kind of shocking to me because I was under the impression that those days are long behind us. It's all bad stuff from here on out. We're just circling the drain and nothing good will ever happen in American politics. But something good happened. Not just good, like really, really good. So good that it actually made me feel something. And I think that that feeling is happiness. Dare I say joy, which I'm not necessarily sure because I haven't gotten that feeling from American politics in a very long time. But we've got some genuinely good news, folks. Connecticut's Democratic governor, Ned Lamont, announced that his state is going to become the first in the nation to cancel medical debt. ABC News reports the state plans to erase approximately $1 billion in medical debt this year by leveraging $6.5 million in American Rescue Plan Act funds, it said. Residents whose household income is up to 400% of the federal poverty line for a family of four, that's $124,800 annually, or whose medical debt equates to 5% or more of their annual income will be eligible under the program, the state said. Some 250,000 residents are anticipated to see their medical debt erased with this initial 6.5 million investment the state said more than one in 10 connecticut residents have medical debt in collections according to the state i mean this is an absolute game changer it's good policy and it's good politics and i hope that other governors now feel pressure to do the same thing as well now they are financing this as the article stated with funds from the american rescue plan so republicans can't fear monger about a new tax to pay for this or anything like that but the downside is that it is means tested and i think that universal programs are always preferable to means tested programs but having said that though the eligibility requirements are fairly wide and residents don't have to do anything to qualify for debt relief as they usually do with means-tested programs because this is automatic. They just get it. It's expected to take effect in June. So if you live in Connecticut and you have medical debt, you should see that erased in June, just like that. Incredible. Now, this goes without saying, but we still need a single-payer healthcare system. We need Medicare for all. So medical debt is no longer a thing in the United States. Medicare for all wouldn't just do away with medical debt. It would save $450 million annually, and most importantly, save 68,000 lives per year, according to a study conducted before the pandemic by researchers at Yale and other universities. But in the absence of a single-payer healthcare system, I think that governors zeroing out medical debt that people acquire through no fault of their own is a massive, massive step in the right direction. And to be fair, it's not the first time that this has been done, because on a smaller scale, New York City Mayor Eric Adams actually 
actually did something good, perhaps for the first time ever, and he announced $2 billion in medical debt relief for New Yorkers who qualify earlier this year. And on top of that, last year, Colorado lawmakers passed the law removing medical debt from credit reports. Now, on top of that, local governments have also used funds from the American Rescue Plan to buy and cancel debt for people in large cities like New Orleans, Pittsburgh, and other areas. But I mean, this is clearly the next logical step where medical debt is just canceled across the board at the state level. This is huge, and it's going to become increasingly necessary as more and more Americans acquire medical debt because our system isn't changing anytime soon. It's not just going to automatically get better. We actually have to fix it. So ABC News continues, a 2022 analysis of government data by the Kaiser Family Foundation Peterson Health System Tracker estimated that 9% of adults, approximately 23 million people, owed more than $250 in health costs. Those more likely to report significant medical debt included people with a disability, uninsured adults, low-income adults, and Black Americans, the report found. Now, additionally, that KFF Peterson study also points out that Americans with cancer have higher levels of debt than people without cancer. And even though 90% of Americans now have health insurance, medical debt is still a persistent problem in this country, so much so that it's the number one cause of bankruptcy, according to the bank Bankruptcy Institute, which isn't necessarily surprising considering the fact that 100 million Americans are saddled with medical debt, according to the Texas Tribune. So once and for all, action is finally being taken to address this, and Democrats are doing the humane and popular thing by just giving Americans relief. I mean, think about how disgusting the system is. You can have a medical emergency through no fault of your own, and an ambulance is called for you, and then you're taken to a hospital, and it turns out that hospital that you were taken to is not in your network, which means you now have to foot the bill. Or let's say, best case scenario, you have insurance, you were taken to the correct hospital, but then the procedure that you needed isn't covered by your insurance, or the medication that you needed isn't covered by your insurance. Well, now you have to pay for that as well. I mean, it's so gross that rather than focusing on getting better if you have cancer, you now likely have to focus on medical debt and worry about that too because perhaps the medication that you need isn't covered by your insurance it's such a barbaric system like the fact that we've allowed this to continue for so long is astonishing to me the fact that medical debt is a thing in the first place speaks to how awful our for-profit healthcare system is but this right here is how you address this in the short term and other democratic governors need to do the same exact thing and democrats in congress need to push this as legislation. I mean, imagine if Joe Biden pressured Republicans to support medical debt relief instead of a far-right border bill. Imagine what that would do for him politically. And sure, Republicans aren't going to support it, but make them tell their constituents, make Mike Johnson, a Christian, tell his constituents that he thinks that they should be stuck with medical debt. Force these Republicans to explain to the people who vote for them why they think they should be burdened with medical debt in the richest country on the planet, even though they accumulated that debt through no fault of their own. This is how you play politics. And again, it's not just about politics because making a difference in people's lives is really important, but you can do both at the same time. It's good politics and good policy. Now, the reason why I bring up Republicans is because Republicans in Connecticut, of course, are against this. But as I said, there's no new tax and it's also means tested. So how exactly can Republicans possibly formulate any opposition to this without sounding foolish? And uh, this is how. We never liked this proposal because it's, it's paying off bad uncollectible debt. So the effect of it is really minuscule um, and it's taking $6.5 million that could go towards something else. Bless his heart. In other words, they have nothing. 
Well, you know, medical debt isn't that big of a deal, comparatively speaking. So, you know, we really could be using that money for something else. That's it. That's the only argument that they have. Now, the question is, what? How would you distribute this money in a different way? Well, he actually alluded to what he would do and had some surprising recommendations. So in a Facebook post, he writes, the governor may enjoy the headlines he's getting on canceling medical debt, but I have little doubt this policy decision will disappoint people who don't qualify for relief and frustrate organizations, local leaders, and residents as capital conversation continues about meeting core needs such as special education funding, heating assistance for vulnerable residents, or investing in Medicaid rates for all residents. Okay, so pump the brakes. I'm sorry, is this Republican inadvertently advocating for a universal policy instead of a means-tested policy? Not to mention, is he actually making reasonable recommendations that are, dare I say, good? I mean, listen, you don't have to pick and choose, which is what he wants you to do. You can do all of those things, but he's trying so hard. He's trying to find some way to be against this, but he's kind of backed himself into a corner and the only option that he has, because he's got to oppose the Democrat no matter what, since he's a Republican, the only option he has is to outflank the Democratic governor who did this from the left. Again, this is the minority leader in the House. See, I don't believe that he actually wants to do those good things. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a Republican in the first place. But what's happening here is the governor, Ned Lamont, did something so fucking overwhelmingly positive and popular that he yanked the Overton window in his state so far to the left that Republicans now have to LARP as progressives to oppose him. That right there is what I call effective leadership. Take notes, Joe Biden. Take notes, Democrats in Congress. And most importantly, if you're a Democratic governor, copy him. Don't just take notes. Copy his homework. Do what he did. Because I promise you, you will be rewarded for it politically. And the best part is you're actually going to make a meaningful difference in the lives of so many people in your state. This is the way right here. Major, major kudos to Ned Lamont. I have no choice but to stand. This man is a king for what he did. Love it. You know, it is really easy to get distracted by Elon Musk's stupidity, especially when he just can't stop tweeting literally every stupid thought that comes to mind. For example, Lance from the Surf shared some new conspiracy theories that he's spreading. One alleging, quote, the long-term goal of the so-called border security bill is enabling illegals to vote. That's not true. And another where he agrees with Kim.com that it really feels like the civil war has already begun because the deep state and Democrats are turning kids LGBTQ so they'll vote for Democrats. But I mean, to be fair to him, he doesn't just post white supremacist and xenophobic conspiracy theories on the main because he also likes to engage in a little bit of shit posting from time to time as well. For example, he thought that this meme of Mark Cuban as a trans woman was fire. And he also asked... LGBTQ anon? Uh, I guess, no? Now, he also thought it was funny how woke ideologues are now making historical figures like Alexander the Great gay, because as you all know, Alexander the Great was very, very straight. I'm being sarcastic, of course, because even the QAnon shaman pointed out that it is widely known that Alexander the Great was bisexual and actually preferred men. But I mean, that's where we're at, where the fucking QAnon shaman is presumably smarter than the richest, most powerful man on the planet. A little bit scary to think about that. But what I'm getting at here is the fact that there's this Trumpian quality 
about Elon Musk, where he's able to get us all to focus on the spectacle and what he says more than what he actually does. Now, I'm guilty of this as well. It's like watching a train wreck, right? You can't look away when the richest man on earth is reportedly abusing ketamine and drinking molly water. That's just objectively interesting. But putting aside all of the sensationalism surrounding Elon Musk, he is doing a lot of damage. And it's not just that he's doing damage to his own employees. He is actively working to make the lives of Americans worse in a plethora of ways. And other billionaires are now teaming up with him to accomplish that mission. Vice News reports Trader Joe's has become the second company in a month to argue in court that the National Labor Relations Board is unconstitutional following the lead of Elon Musk's SpaceX as both companies face board charges for firing employees. These two major corporations aren't alone in attempting to protect their interests by undermining public institutions. Meta is also arguing in an ongoing lawsuit that the Federal Trade Commission is unconstitutional. Legal expert told Motherboard that these companies are attempting to take advantage of what they believe is a friendly Supreme Court. Judges currently lean right by a 6-3 to three margin while they can. SpaceX, accused of illegally firing eight workers who were critical of Musk, filed its lawsuit one day after the board brought charges against it, arguing that the agency lacked presidential oversight and violated the separation of powers provision outlined in the U.S. Constitution. Trader Joe's, accused of union busting, stated in a hearing that the board was unconstitutional and that it would preserve the issue for further briefing and argument according to a transcript of the hearing shared by the Huffington Post. These companies are not the first to bring charges of unconstitutionality against core government agencies. In November, Meta sued the Federal Trade Commission for unconstitutionality in a bid to prevent the FTC from preventing the social media giant from profiting off of data collected from minors. Yeah, so what's happening here is obviously extremely dangerous. When government agencies determine that these corporations break the law, rather than just accepting their punishment, which is usually nothing more than a slap on the wrist, they're now choosing to not only challenge the authority of the agencies that are supposed to be regulating them, they're choosing to try to destroy them literally and get them dismantled by declaring their existence unconstitutional. That is absolutely dangerous. Oh, you say that I illegally fired Tesla workers? Well, I say that your existence is unconstitutional and the NLRB should cease to exist. Oh, you think that we shouldn't be allowed to profit off of data that we stole from miners? Well, guess what? We think that it's unconstitutional for you to try to stop us from doing that. See, this is why the left says that billionaires shouldn't exist. Because in a capitalist society, wealth translates directly into power. And that level of wealth makes people so powerful that they literally threaten democracy itself. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. I mean, government agencies now have to worry about being dismantled if they go after companies and CEOs that are just too powerful. And that is not a healthy environment for a democratic system. Now, these existential challenges to government agencies tasked with protecting consumers and workers comes after billionaires already rigged our entire judicial system in their favor, first by changing campaign finance laws through Supreme Court cases like Buckley and Citizens United, and then by stacking the bench with pro-corporate judges through a variety of methods. And that is all culminated in this dangerous moment where corporations have usurped the power of government agencies that are supposed to regulate them and protect us from them. 
Elon Musk is leading us into a dangerous new era where these large multinational corporations aren't just able to easily thwart accountability, but they now might be able to just outright destroy democracies who try to rein them in. Vice News continues. In April, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled in favor of a company challenging the FTC's constitutional authority. Axon Enterprise, a company that makes tasers and police body cameras, acquired competitor and police camera maker Vivu in 2018. The FTC challenged the acquisition two years later. Axon sued the agency for exercising unconstitutional authority and after losing an appeals court decision in 2021, argued the case before the Supreme Court. The court ruled that the FTC Act, which established the agency and its administrative procedures in 1914, did not displace a district court's federal question jurisdiction over claims, challenging as unconstitutional the structure or existence of the commission. The FTC abandoned its challenge. This means that lawsuits about the FTC's constitutionality, such as that posed by Meta in November, are legally possible. Laura Phillips Sawyer, a professor of law at the University of Georgia who studies antitrust, told Motherboard that the Supreme Court's new major questions doctrine made it easier for companies to challenge agencies' authority. The Chevron doctrine, which everyone is talking about right now, resulted from a challenge to the EPA's administrative authority in 1984. The EPA was not enforcing a rule critical to the Clean Air Act, Philip Sawyer said in an email. The court said that non-enforcement was within the agency's purview as it was empowered by Congress and the statute. It was a doctrine of deference to administrative agencies. Of course, now the Supreme Court has created the Major Questions Doctrine, which asserts that the court can slash will evaluate administrative rulemaking by agencies and determine if the promulgated rule falls within the authorities granted by Congress and the statute she continued. Now the court seems to suggest that if deference is gone, all rulemaking might be challenged. So we're on the cusp of a legal paradigm shift where corporate supremacy could become the norm, where they're literally just more powerful than government agencies. Now, to be fair, you could already persuasively make that argument because things have been getting worse for a while. A 2014 Princeton study concluded that average citizens have zero impact on policy outcomes compared to interest groups and elites. But I mean, we may be entering an even worse era where the corporate dystopia that rules over us is so much more powerful that they can never be challenged. Democracy cannot exist under these conditions, and reining in corporations and taxing billionaires out of existence is a necessity for the survival of this country. There are no good billionaires, and there are no good corporations. And I think that the last couple of years have demonstrated that. So if there was anyone who was thinking, mm, you know, maybe we should allow billionaires to exist, but just tax them more. You can't have people with that much wealth and that much power in this country if you actually want to live in a democratic system. Otherwise, the system is just going to collapse into an oligarchy. And it may have already done that, right? But I think that there's still time to save the country, but time is running out. We have billionaires actually trying to destroy government agencies, dismantle U.S. institutions. Do you know how serious of a threat to democracy that is? Like, I can't stress that enough. It feels like I'm chicken little right now. But I mean, the sky really is falling in a sense because this is awful. Now, Alex Press of Jacobin has an interesting take on this that I'd recommend you check out where, you know, he explains how this supposedly liberal organization, Trader Joe's, is teaming up with a fascist like Elon Musk to destroy the NLRB after they were caught busting unions as well. And Starbucks, another ostensibly liberal company, also went mask off in response to the wave of unionization within their company. So, I mean, 
I think these stories are important because I think companies like Starbucks and Trader Joe's, they were viewed by a lot of liberals as the example of a good corporation. They, you know, exhibit corporate responsibility. They care about the communities they're in. That's not true. Every single thing that they do is motivated by profits and profits alone. Anything else that they say is nothing more than window dressing. So you shouldn't believe them when they tell you that they're good. Look at their actions. All it takes is a little bit of unionization and Starbucks loses its shit. So we've got Musk trying to dismantle the NLRB. We've got Zuckerberg trying to dismantle the FTC. And it's only a matter of time until other CEOs of different corporations go after other agencies to challenge their authority as well. I mean, these changes are going to affect all of us in a really negative way. And once this precedent is set where a corporation or a CEO can get an entire fucking agency destroyed and it no longer exists, that's scary times. So um, pay attention to this because for all the stupidity that we see from Elon Musk, what he's doing behind the scenes is much more dangerous. Believe it or not, we're now just two months away from the one year anniversary of the right wing freakout over Bud Light. And at this point, a lot of prominent conservatives have pretty much just moved on. Even Kid Rock announced that he's forgiven the company and he's no longer boycotting Bud Light after spearheading the initial boycott against them. And even Donald Trump is telling conservatives that it's time to forgive and forget, writing on Truth Social, quote, the Bud Light ad was a mistake of epic proportions and for that a very big price was paid. But Anheuser-Busch is not a woke company, but I can give you plenty that are. Now he goes on to make the case for them by explaining how they've spent money supporting farmers and also given a thousands of dollars of scholarship money and concludes by saying Anheuser-Busch is a great American brand that perhaps deserves a second chance. What do you think? Well, Trump, I think we should all consider what would Jesus do? And I think that Jesus would want us to forgive Bud Light for their sins. He would want us to forgive this beer company for doing the unthinkable and featuring a trans person in one of their sponsored social media posts. That's what I think he would do. But I mean, I've got to say, it almost sounds like Bud Light sent Trump a can with his face on it and paid him to do a social media post with the way that he was gushing about them. But they didn't sponsor him, at least not in that way. But Anheuser-Busch's lobbyist is hosting a fundraiser for him. So there's that. And it also doesn't hurt that he owns between one and five million dollars in stock in the company. So, you know, part of me wonders if he would still be willing to forgive and forget if it weren't for that conflict of interest. But who knows? You know, Trump is usually a pretty straightforward, honest guy. So I'm assuming that he's just really speaking from the heart here. But I mean, Trump basically said what a lot of other conservatives were already thinking. I think that secretly most conservatives think that the Bud Light freakout is fucking stupid, but they don't want to say that because they'd get flamed by conservatives who feel really passionately about this. But since Trump said it, now a lot of conservatives think it's safe for them to say it as well. For example, Caitlyn Jenner decided to share Trump's post and echo his remarks, writing on Twitter, quote, as someone that worked for this incredible American company and got to know them very well, I raced for Anheuser-Busch in the 80s. I agree with real Donald Trump. Look at what the company does for so many Americans and their track record over the years. They made a huge mistake and have paid a large price. I think it is time to move forward. I'm saying we should focus on big picture agreeing with 45. Now, it's been a while, so I just want to take a little bit of time to remind everyone what this supposedly huge mistake was. 
Bud Light sent one trans woman a single can of beer with her face on it for one social media post. It wasn't a commercial that aired everywhere. It was a sponsored social media post. But according to Caitlyn Jenner, that right there is tantamount to the company making a huge mistake. Now, I'm not going to defend a corporation because corporations in general are bad. They dodge taxes. They buy off politicians. But in this instance, the fact that they did a sponsored social media post, not necessarily my priority, not necessarily something that I would bring up in a criticism of large multinational corporations. But I don't actually think that Caitlyn Jenner believes that they made a huge mistake because if she actually believes that, then she'd also have to think that Fox News made a huge mistake by hiring her to be a contributor. But she's not arguing that Fox News went woke for hiring her because she's also trans, right? Of course not. That'd be preposterous. So what is she trying to do here? Well, she's trying to placate conservatives by throwing another trans woman under the bus in hopes that they'll accept her as the only good one. But it doesn't work that way, Caitlin, because the conservatives who are still outraged at Bud Light aren't simply mad because they think the company went woke or something. To them, it's worse than that. The company indirectly acknowledged the inherent validity of Dylan Mulvaney's transness, and they celebrated her gender identity. That, to them, is unacceptable because they don't think that trans people should exist in the first place, including you, Caitlin. But Caitlin Jenner has deluded herself into thinking that her conservative comrades might actually accept her if she says what they want her to say, but they will never accept her unless she renounces her own gender identity and disavows everything that she ever said about trans people. Now, I'm not saying this because I have some unique, unique insight into the minds of transphobes. I'm saying this because that's what they're saying. It's evident because of the way that they treat her. For example, she was absolutely skewered for that post, and unsurprisingly, many of the conservatives replied by misgendering and deadnaming her. One person says, bro, come on. If you want to know what DeSantis meant by listless vessel, here is a prime example. No deadname, they had their chance. Now you have another person that misgenders her. This person tells her she lacks self-awareness. This person says a transgender person says Bud Light isn't woke. Great endorsement. This person also misgenders her, saying, dude, you aren't helping his case. LOL. Fair enough, dead name. I may have a Budweiser again if it is the last one in the cooler. You, however, are not the guy to make the case for them. So just being completely cruel. And this person shared a gif making fun of her, but at least they had the courtesy to not misgender her, I guess. So, I mean... <laughs> There's that. But the most viral response I saw came from this person who tried to hypocrisy burn her, writing, Bud Light screwed up by working with the trans influencer, but they're not woke. To prove it, here's a message from our trans influencer. Now, that was retweeted by Matt Walsh, another ringleader of the Bud Light boycotts, who then responded to Trump's original post by saying, Anheuser-Busch has not issued an apology, backing off of the most effective conservative boycott in history without even an apology would turn one of our biggest recent victories into one of our dumbest self-owns. So these are the kinds of people who she is pandering to. And I love how he's just so proud of this. Just to kind of put everything into perspective, when leftists try to organize boycotts, it's because a corporation is union busting, right? Or they're treating their workers terribly or they're doing something, donating to politicians who are doing evil things. Leftists are currently organizing unions for tenants and protesting police brutality and calling for a ceasefire for humanitarian reasons in Gaza. And right-wingers, meanwhile, are organizing boycotts of woke beer companies. I mean, one side is completely unserious and the other side is actually trying to improve the lives of people. 
the difference is stark. But to get back to Caitlyn Jenner, you would think that she'd learn by now that it is literally impossible to ingratiate herself with the right so long as she's trans. But she's not taking the hint. And rather than opposing people who don't want her to exist, she's instead parroting their transphobic talking points. It's actually really sad if you think about it. Now, at the end of the day, what this comes down to is freedom. Trans people just want to be themselves. We all have the right to pursue happiness as human beings, and that's exactly why trans people choose to come out and transition in the first place. In fact, LGBTQ Nation reports the following, quote, 94% of transgender people said that they were either a little or a lot more satisfied with their lives since they transitioned. The 2022 U.S. Transgender Survey by the National Center for Transgender Equality found. Now, to put that in perspective, Lance from the Surfs explains, for comparison, people who get knee surgery can report dissatisfaction at rates as high as 30%, but there's no one protesting outside of their doctor's offices. And that is exactly correct. So being trans is beautiful because transitioning is a radical act of self-love. It requires courage and drive, and I find that incredibly admirable. But that doesn't mean that if they transition, their lives are gonna be easier despite being more happier with themselves because that same survey also found the following. LGBTQ Nation continues, while transgender people were overwhelmingly satisfied with their personal decisions regarding their transitions, they often found that others around them were not supportive. Only 67% of adult respondents whose families knew that they were trans said that their families were supportive of them, and 12% said that their families were unsupportive. That's so sad. That number increased for 16 to 17 year old trans people, 29% said that their families were unsupportive. The study also found evidence of widespread anti-trans discrimination. 18% of respondents said they were unemployed, far higher than the 3.6% unemployment rate for the whole U.S. population in November of 2022. Additionally, 34% said that they were living in poverty, and 11% said that they had lost a job due to their gender identity or expression. 3% said that they were physically attacked due to their identity in the previous 12 months, and 30 30% said that they were verbally harassed because of their trans identity in their previous 12 months. 5% of USTS respondents said that they had already left their state due to anti-trans legislation, and 47% said that they considered leaving their state. Since even more anti-trans legislation was introduced and passed in 2023 than in 2022, the numbers could be higher now. Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Missouri, North Carolina, Ohio, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia were the most likely states for trans people to leave. And it's so sad, but not surprising. And as silly as the hysteria over Bud Light is, we can't just dismiss it as conservative snowflakery, conservatives being stupid, even though that is what it is. But what this is about is them trying to eliminate trans people from existence. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what they say. This is what Michael Knowles said the goal is. They want to eliminate them from existence. I think that the specific word that he used was eradicate. And the reason why hysteria over this boycott matters and is really serious is because the people screaming the loudest about the Bud Light boycott are the constituents of Republicans enacting laws that criminalize trans existence in these states. And this attack on trans existence isn't merely political. It is an act of violence, both directly and indirectly. For example, NBC News reports, NBC News identified 33 instances starting in November of 2020 when people or institutions singled out by libs of TikTok later reported 
reported bomb threats or other violent intimidation. The threats, which on average came several days after tweets from libs of TikTok, targeted schools, libraries, hospitals, small businesses, and elected officials in 16 states, Washington, D.C., and the Canadian province of Ontario. 21 of the 33 threats were bomb threats, which most commonly targeted schools and were made via email. The threats have been taking up government resources and have been highly distracting. In response to the threats, some schools canceled classes for days, while others stayed open following quick sweeps from law enforcement. Now, Chaya Raichik, the stochastic terrorist who inspired these threats, has been embraced by Republicans and been embraced by transphobes. They like what she's doing. They don't mind that she is inspiring bomb threats against any schools or libraries that are supposedly indoctrinating kids into LGBTQ plus things. That's not how it works. You can't make someone be gay or trans. They just are or they're not. But they like that she's terrorizing people, essentially. In fact, she was just appointed to the Oklahoma Department of Education Library Media Advisory Committee, meaning she's going to get to decide for your kids what's appropriate, even though she doesn't have kids. So they're not trying to hide their desire to violently eradicate trans people by any means necessary. But Caitlyn Jenner thinks that they're going to stop at her for some reason. It's delusional. But let this be a lesson to her and anyone else who's still in denial about the right's genocidal intent. Their goal is to eliminate all LGBTQ plus people, and these fascists cannot be reasoned with. Anyone who tries to negotiate with these terrorists about the terms of the existence of an entire group of people is just as bad as them as far as I'm concerned. So even though it is really disheartening to see any LGBTQ plus person be subjected to that much hate and vitriol simply because of who they are. Caitlyn Jenner, she's the one who chose to prioritize her class interests over her own humanity. This is the bed that she made for herself and now she has to lie in it. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.